we're in Revelation chapter 18. Revelation chapter 18. Let's open with prayer. Uh, Father, as we come to you this morning, we know that uh, these are your words that you inspired John to write as you as he was revealed these things were revealed to him. Uh, we know that because it's in the word that it's important for us to study it. Thank you for giving us the opportunity. We know the Holy Spirit is our teacher. We pray that you would help us um, understand and um, uh, that we would be able to um, take uh, anything that you give us as spiritual food and apply it in our lives that uh, we might be um, nourished and strengthened. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, I take it you can't hear me. So can anybody hear me? Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Um, I felt a presence beside me while I was <laughs> preaching. I think it was Ken. <laughs> this is in a different shape than when I started. So, um, and uh, I, I always appreciate your. I know where before I start, I usually don't talk about other things, but I appreciate your prayers. Uh, still dealing with swing shifts and getting my body get back on schedule, and I feel like I should be sleeping now, but. Uh, Anyway, it's just going back and forth to the different shifts, but um, we'll begin Revelation chapter 18, beginning of verse 1. John says, and after these things, um, again, I, I always want to reiterate this because there are so many um, who misunderstand that phrase. Um, and when I say so many, I'm talking about so many that even study the book of Revelation because, as you know, it is not studied much. Um, of course, lost people don't study anything in the Bible and can't because it's not written to them and uh, the Holy Spirit is a teacher. Lost people don't have the Holy Spirit. So, and among Christians, um, it's something that's not very popular in most churches. Any subject of prophecy, whether it be Revelation, Ezekiel, Daniel, or Zechariah, any of them, any prophecies related to the second coming, uh, they tend to steer away. I've heard comments like the reason being it's controversial. <laughs> and uh, yes, there are definitely different interpretations. And to me, what I felt like is if you feel inadequate, and I, and I don't want anybody to think that I'm arrogant and know all the scripture. I learn, I learn more every time I study as I know all of you do. It's, it's just the way the scripture is. It's not like a textbook in school where you can study it and know everything in that textbook. The word of God is alive, so we can make more connections the more we study. But I keep going into different <laughs> tangents off of this, but, but it's not taught much. And in places where it is, I'm talking about so many of those who are studying the book of Revelation. Look at every time John says, and after these things, or and after that. And they interpret from that that this means this happens next, and then this happens next, and this happens next. As though God showed it to John in chronological order. There is some chronological order, but it is not to be assumed automatically. 
Otherwise, you have events related to just at the end of Christ returning. You have that repeated over and over. So he's not coming back seven times. It's just that it goes back each time and gives more details. So whenever we read, and after these things, it was the next thing John saw. We should not infer any more than that. And so this is the next thing that was revealed to him. And after these things, I, John says, saw another angel come down from heaven. Now we've noticed, we know from already studying in, in this book and in the rest of the Bible, there are myriads of angels. There's lots of them. So, you know, Satan got a third of them to, to you know, Genesis chapter 6. He got a third of them to leave their place uh, in heaven, their estate as it's called, and they came down. So we know that there is a lot of them. And so here's another one, another angel. It says, I saw another angel come down from heaven having great power and the earth was lightened with his glory. Now, every time we see angels, it's often described as though there's uh, brightness shining from them. You remember when Jesus, after Jesus' resurrection, and they came to the tomb and they talked about two angels and the brightness. So that, that is often mentioned. So here again we see this. Verse 2. And he, that is that angel, cried, and in the Old English Usually when it's crying, it's the word weep. So this is shouted. And the angel shouted mightily with a strong voice, saying, so I think John's trying to tell us again to what we would call an amplified voice. Saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. Now this isn't the first time we've seen this. It, it said it exactly like this back in chapter 14 in verse 8. Revelation chapter 14, verse 8, you don't have to turn there. It says exactly the same thing. So it isn't that, that you know, if you read the, study the book of Revelation and interpret it that it's happening, everything we read it chronologically, then you would read in chapter 14 that Babylon falls, and then you get to chapter 18, you would think, well, it already fell, and here it's talking about it falling. So... Um, so Babylon the Great is fallen, and it repeats it twice, which of course gives emphasis, but the original Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar fell, and uh, the, as we connect all of this, you know, because you don't study, we, we don't study the Bible independently, any one verse or one chapter or one book independently from the rest of the word, and all of this connects to the prophecies that Daniel got. So when Daniel uh, speaks of the dream that Nebuchadnezzar has and God gave him that dream and the interpretation, remember the gold head, and that represented the Babylonian Empire under Nebuchadnezzar. And then it went to the Medo-Persian Empire, so it went from gold to silver. And then it went to the Grecian Empire under Alexander the Great, and then the Roman Empire and so forth. Now, you probably know this already, but so-called, I say so-called because... Just because somebody's a scholar and they have a PhD behind their name, in fact, a preacher I had in Ohio, he had a PhD, but he said it stands for post hole digger, so <laughs> instead of doctor of philosophy, so post hole digger. But there's lot, just because somebody has a PhD and they're talking about the Bible, or you watch these programs on TV, it does. You know, people listen and they think, oh well, th what they're saying must be true because they're they're a doctor. They're, they have studied this and they know it, so, so we have to be careful there. But, um, so 
Daniel prophesied about this, and the reason I started into all that was there are people that say Daniel could not have written the book of Daniel, which doesn't make any sense to me, but, you know. And their reasoning is because he talks in his uh, prophecies, he talks about countries that didn't, um, they weren't powerful. Now, it's true that he went, his, his prophecies as he lived, he lived into the beginning of the Medo-Persian Empire. So they could say, well, he could know about that because he lived into the beginning of that. And how, they say, how could he prophesy about the Grecian Empire? Because that was way in the future. That was after the Medo-Persian Empire. He wasn't even living anymore. It's because they can't believe, some of these so-called modern scholars can't believe that God inspired and God spoke through these prophets and God gave it to them. And I know you believe that. So, yes, um, getting off on that again this morning, I seem to be running tangents, but um, the, book, the book of Daniel, and this connects to this, it, it is the beginning of the times of the Gentiles, and we read in other scriptures as Paul teaches. He talks about the fullness of the Gentiles, and then th that's not to be confused with the times of the Gentiles, but the times of the Gentiles ends when Christ returns I know, um, as Mike will be preaching this morning, I assume he's continue, will continue through Zechariah. But, um, you know, when you get to later in Zechariah and you see the prophecy uh, of Christ returning and his feet land on the Mount of Olives and there's a big earthquake in the, and the mountain splits to the north and to the south and all of that. But that is what Daniel prophesied uh, from the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, that it's the stone cut out of the mountain without hands, which is speaking of Christ, and it strikes the bottom of the image. It strikes the bottom, not the top, because remember, if you take the statue and flip it down, it's talking about time, right? The Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Grecian Empire, the Roman Empire. Now we're down in the feet where it's iron mixed with clay. The ten toes connect to the ten kings we've already studied in the book of Revelation. So, all of this connects. Christ returns. The times of the Gentiles end. And this, what we see in Revelation, I believe is that. Now, we could spend a whole study on the fact that you could talk about literal Babylon, which is a city in Iraq. Uh, you could talk about ecclesiastical Babylon, which is the connection to Rome. We already saw that in chapter 17. It gives us the understanding of the Antichrist when he comes back to life. Satan incarnated in him that he'll have like the mind of Ciro, mind of Nero, excuse me. Like we saw in Revelation 13, the number of the man is 666. Anyway, all of that connects. So that's ecclesiastical. And then there's spiritual Babylon, as we know, uh, you could think of... Uh, Israel, the nation of Israel, as they were rebellious. But here we see that this, I believe, is emphasizing the fact that the times of the Gentiles will be ending as it comes to the end of the tribulation and Christ returns to set up the kingdom. Israel then will be head of the nations as they were before they went into captivity. They've been tail of the nations, uh, as the scripture refers to them, ever since they went into captivity. Now, they did go back to Jerusalem, of course, after 70 years and so forth, but they, it's the Gentile powers that have been in control. So, here we see this angel shouts in verse 2, Revelation 18, 2, Babylon the Great 
is fallen. And every time we've seen it, I pointed out to you that it says that great city. Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, which is the word demons, and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Those are all the birds of prey. As we remember, when there are dead bodies, there are dead carcasses from all that will be slaughtered at the end of the tribulation. There will be so many. Remember, Ezekiel talks about, um, first of all, they'll take the weapons of war, and they'll take seven, um, the, the time periods he gives, about seven months and seven years, you know, and burying all these bodies. It's a lot of time because there's so many. And God calls it, it's, it calls it his great supper where he calls all these birds of prey together because they're feasting on all these dead carcasses. So that's what that's referring to also at the end of verse 2. It'll be destruction. The Gentiles uh, will no longer be the main power in the millennial kingdom. It'll be Israel. And uh, that's where the central location of ruling in the world will be. Um, for that thousand years. So that's all what verse 2 is giving us focus on. Now verse 3. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. In other words, it's saying that the whole world is, is affected. The whole world is affected. We talked about God, um, as, as we saw in Revelation, where it talked about the wine press, um, God's wrath, and he likens the, the grapes that are crushed in, the, in the, the, the vat where they put the grapes and push it and the juice comes out. He likens that to the, the slaughter and the blood that will be shed in the tribulation. So all this God is pouring out his wrath and, and they are, the whole world is affected because all nations, it says, have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. We talked about the word fornication. doesn't mean Literally, as we saw in chapter 17, which we just studied last week, that John is revealed as he sees this, this woman sitting, which is referred to as a whore, but she's sitting on a scarlet-colored beast. We saw that the whore is, of course, prostit- representing prostitution, but it's the idea of fornication because um, of what she, uh, how she's affecting and, and being ally with other nations. So everybody's affected. Going on to verse 3, And the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants, of course, meaning the business people of the earth, are waxed, which is the old word for grown, G-R-O-W-N, grown rich. You know, um, by the way, I think about the old English a lot. When I was younger and I was um, not, not yet even a teenager, and I would try to study the Bible and I'd come to words like waxed. And I wasn't much into reading poetry. I know there's poetry about the moon waxing and waning, but I still, if I read that, I didn't know what waxing and waning meant. Nobody taught me, and I didn't know it. And um, Back then, if you wanted to learn something, you had to get out a dictionary. Remember those days? <laughs> Where the young people now probably don't know what that's like. You just look, look it up on your phone. But anyway, it's a lot faster. Anyway... So this is one of those words I had trouble understanding as a young person. But the business uh, men of the earth then are grown rich through the abundance of her delicacies. The old English word here, her luxuries, her, her wealth. She's this, she, this, of course, is referring to a nation. 
uh, it's referring to the Gentile powers, but she's so wealthy, and, and all the businessmen have, have been affected and grown rich through it. Now, I've said this before, and I want to caution, I'm going to preface this with some things before we read the rest. Um, there are things that we can think of in history that can help maybe give us some glimpse of a little bit about what will happen at the end of the tribulation. But let me first preface it by saying that things in history were not the fulfillment of anything yet that we're reading, because this is yet future, right? The rapture has to happen. Uh, the, the Antichrist will sign a peace treaty, get a peace treaty signed between the Arab nations and Israel. Um, it's called false peace, of course, because it only lasts three and a half years. But anyway, that's, that has to happen. Then there's the Great Tribulation. That's the second half of the Tribulation period, that three and a half years. All of that, and then Christ returns and sets up the kingdom. So that is yet future. None of that has happened. We're still here. The rapture hadn't happened. Um, so we know that in, in this sense... I want to preface it with that. So I want to give an example. When we're reading in Matthew 24 or, or other accounts uh, that Mark and Luke recorded of the Olivet Discourse, that is when Christ was uh, preaching fr um, from the Mount of Olives. And one of the things he talked about, you know, he said that um, the, the scripture there, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And he talked about, you know, when you see the abomination of desolation set up in the temple, and claim that he's God, and then he's, you know, you can read about it, and he said you can study it in Daniel, but he said, you know, you, you've got to hurry, you've got to get out, all of those things. And a lot of the prophecies where it says, brother will give up brother, you know, people will be telling, oh, well, they're over here. A lot of those things happened in World War II, but World War II was not the fulfillment of that. It's talking about the last half of the tribulation. So, but to get a glimpse of some of what's in the tribulation, you could think about Hitler in World War II and what happened. Six million Jews were killed. Um, that was about one-third of the Jews living in the world at that time. Zechariah prophesies that two-thirds of the Jews will be killed. So that wasn't the fulfillment, but you can get a glimpse. So the only reason I say all that is to say that as we look at this, I want you to think about one, one of the Gentile uh, cities in the world that has a lot of power and is wealthy, and I'm not saying this is the fulfillment, I, that's what I want to keep saying, but think about New York City just for a moment while we read through this. Because remember in 9-11, um, we know what happened in 9-11, and there's an eerie similarity to it seems like what's being described here. 9-11 is not what chapter 18 is about. But looking at what happened at 9-11 gives us somewhat of a glimpse, although Jesus said that anything that's happened now, none of it's as bad as it will be in the tribulation. So it'll be far worse. But just think about that as we read this. I, I think it'll, it'll give you some picture, a, a glimpse into what the end of the tribulation will be like. Look at verse 4. John said, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins and that you receive not of her plagues. So, you know, this is a, something that we all have as believers that it's talking about, of course, come out and be separate. Some of the, uh, the Amish people took that literally and they have their own society. I don't, you know, Paul says, 
in order to completely do that, you'd have to leave the world. We, we'd have to leave here because we're, he just says, you know, we're in the world, but don't be of the world. So, so they're given this instruction here. Verse 5, for her sins, remember this is referring to this great Gentile power, this city who's very wealthy. Her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Now, some of what we've already seen, it goes back to when you look in the Gentile powers, and we thought in Revelation 17 the connection to Rome and the Christians that were uh, martyred, they were killed in what they called the circus and the Colosseum and on the streets, all the, the horrible things that were done to them. Right? All of that was connected. But it continues, more happens at the end of the tribulation. So many more will die. And what happened then in Rome is similar to what will happen in the tribulation. Verse 6, reward her even as she rewarded you, double to her according to her works, and the cup which she has filled, filled to her double. Verse 7, how much she has glorified herself and lived deliciously. Now this deliciously is an adverb, and it's similar to the noun back in verse 3, the end of verse 3, delicacies. Delicacies, delici deliciously. But it's talking about luxuriously. She's been very wealthy. She's had a lot of stuff. And then it says, so much, going on in verse 7, so much torment and sorrow give her. It says, for she says in her heart, this is the attitude of this Gentile power, this city. I sit a queen and am no widow and shall see no sorrow. This is the attitude that nothing will ever happen to me. You know, the Roman Empire thought that, right? I'm sure the Babylonian Empire thought that, even though Daniel gave the prophecies that he told Nebuchadnezzar um, another kingdom is going to take over. And the Medes and Persians probably thought they were going to be just the power forever. And I'm sure the Alexander the Great thought it would go on forever. Of course, it then split in four ways to his four generals and so forth. Anyway, but this is the attitude. Nothing can happen to me. I'm so powerful. I'm so rich. Nothing can happen. Verse 8, therefore shall her plagues come in one day. I told you to think about New York City just because of the analogy here, but to get a glimpse. Come in one day. Death and mourning and famine. And those things are what we saw all the way back in Revelation 6 where Daniel gets the opening of the seals, and that was the broad outline of the tribulation. Famine was one of the things. Death means disease. So the pandemic we're having now, it's, you know, um, it's, it's not as bad as the Spanish flu in 1918. We could talk about other plagues that have been. Uh, we now know that more have died um, in the U.S. from this one than they did in 2009. So we can compare all that, but, but it'll be much worse in the tribulation. So there will be a disease, so death here is the word, and mourning, obviously people mourning the death of many people, famine, and she'll be utterly burned with fire. She uh, says, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. Verse 9. And the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously or luxuriously with her shall bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning. See why I said to just think of New York City and the World Trade Center to get a glimpse. 
right? It seemed like the smoke just it kept burning and burning in the smoke, and the whole world was watching, and the whole world was affected. Look at verse 10. Standing afar off, they're all looking, you know, nobody's coming close. The first responders, a lot of them died because they went close. But standing afar off for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city. There it is again. I said every time you'll keep seeing that phrase. That great city, Babylon, the, that mighty city, for in one hour is your judgment come. And the merchants, of course, that's the business people of the earth, will weep and mourn over her. For no one buys her merchandise anymore. In the case of 9-11, just things were shut down for a short time. This says in the tribulation, when this happens, it'll be shut down forever. Verse 12, the merchandise, and it starts naming lots of things that are, um, you know, that you can invest in in the stock market and is sold. Gold, silver, precious stones, pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, scarlet, all fine wood and all manner vessels of ivory. Um, they're trying, in most cases, to outlaw um, ivory because of where it comes from, but still it's on the black market. All manner of vessels of most precious wood and a brass and iron and marble, cinnamon, odors, ointments, frankincense, wine. Um, that's a big industry. Oil. Fine flour, wheat, beasts, of course, are animals, sheep, horses, chariots. Now, the modern understanding of chariots, as we look even back in the book of Nahum, where it says the chariots will jostle one another in the streets. And it says in the Hebrew, the phrase would mean fire encased in steel, so the combustible engine that we have. So I believe when it says chariots, it's talking about the car industry, vehicles. Now, it's interesting, and it says slaves. Now, we've outlawed slavery as far as people owning, but we know there are uh, corrupt things going on in the world, and there are still people being sold into slavery. Um, slaves, and then even it says the souls of men. Verse 14, and the fruits that your soul lusted after, there's these, all these merchant people around the world, the, the things, the, the, all the things they gained, the profit that they got from, from the connection to all this, that your soul lusted after are departed from you. You think about in cases where the uh, stock market crashes, a lot of people are affected. Um, I, I never had any, my, personally, I never had anything invested in the stock market until I was, the school I taught at for the last uh, uh, 28 years is, was a private school, and um, the, they, instead of having it in a guaranteed thing, it was, it was invested in the stock market. And the only choice we had was how it was allocated. So that's my only connection to the stock market that I had. When the stock market crashed in 2008, my retirement after all those years dropped down below $4,000. Some of it came back before I retired um, in 2014, but a lot of it didn't. And uh, so I was personally affected by that. So, um, but in the most case before that and after, I don't have the ability or any extra income to invest in the stock market. But anyway, um, 
but it does it did affect people then and in the tribulation it will affect people so let's continue on uh, have a little uh, more time this morning so we see then in verse um, uh, 14 I'll finish reading and all things which were dainty and goodly are departed from you and you'll find them no more at all Verse 15, the merchants of these things which were made rich by her shall stand afar off for the fear of her torment, weeping and wailing. Now that phrase always through the Bible refers to having had something and lost it. The reason I mention that is it's usually connected in the Bible when we see outer darkness. So it's talking about as Christians, if we stand at the judgment seat and we don't hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And the Bible says what we'll hear instead is depart from me ye that work iniquity. Remember Jerry did a whole lesson on that in Sunday school, lawlessness. Depart from me ye that work iniquity, for I never knew you. There was no uh, spiritual intimacy. It's not talking about that he didn't, I mean God knows everybody. And it's not talking about these weren't believers. They won't be at the judgment seat of Christ unless they will have been a believer. But it's talking about this spiritual intimacy that we get by getting in the word of God as we talked about uh, last uh, Sunday in the sermon connected to Second Corinthians, Corinthians 5, and we went to Revelation 19 and the wedding garment. We have to prepare ourselves or we'll stand there in the shame of our nakedness. So um, we, we see all that. So we see weeping and wailing. And this is mentioned connected out in our, there shall be weeping and wailing. So it's referring to if we as Christians forfeit our inheritance like Esau did right he forfeit he decided that what he just that little bowl of stew oh I'm sure it was great when he had it and that just comparing in our life I mean we can have the things of this world if we God's not forcing us to be obedient we could do what we want to forget about God and just live our life for ourselves and in that way choosing what we can have now but what we, this life will be over soon, as uh, Jack and I were discussing before Sunday school, and it's going to be over, either the rapture or death one way, it's going to be over soon, and when it happens, uh, all this life will be over, right? So that it'll be all then. And when we stand at the judgment seat, if we don't hear well done, it says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, this weeping and wailing, it, it, yes, it refers to in any case, someone mourning loss, but it always connects in the Bible to that, and that's what it connects to as Christians, not being able to rule and reign, forfeiting our inheritance. All right, verse 16. And saying, Alas, alas, that great city, there it is again, that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. And if you remember, that's exactly the description we saw last Sunday in Revelation 17, right? The woman sitting on the scarlet-covered beast, that was the description of her. She was wealthy. I mean, you can't deck yourself out like that unless you are. Verse 17, for in one hour, so great riches has come to naught. Just, it's all gone. Every shipmaster and all the company and ships and sailors and as many are trade by sea stood afar off. First of all, I didn't realize this till I met somebody who worked in the Navy, and one of the things they were, had the responsibility of doing was um, get transporting things related to trade that would come. I went through the um, 
the Panama Canal, as I know Harris and Shirley did, some of you might have gone through the Panama Canal, but that was built so that the ships didn't have to go all the way down through South America and then come all the way back up. Now they can cut through there, where be between South America and Central America there in Panama and come through and it saves a lot of time as they're bringing all that. And I remember looking at these big barges that were carrying all this stuff. I mean, some of it was bananas. There's all kinds of stuff they carry. And it were, there were these look like boxes. They look like little boxes. But I knew when we got closer, all of those boxes were the things that the back of the semis carried. That's what those were. And they were stacked up really high. I mean, that's a lot. Anyway, so this goes on a lot. I just wasn't aware of it. All right, verse 18. And cried, that is shouted when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, what city is like to this great city? The wealth, the power, right? Verse 19, and they cast dust on their heads, symbolizing mourning, and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, all that had ships in the sea by reason, excuse me, had ships in the sea of her costliness, for in one hour... Um, oh, sorry, I, uh, I'm going to read that again. Alas, alas, that great city wherein are, were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness. For in one hour is she made desolate. Okay, and because um, we have a service coming up in a few minutes, we'll, we'll stop there for today. And let's bow for closing prayer. Father, we thank you that you allowed us to have a few moments this morning again in your word. I thank you for these that are here because they want to study, and thank you for those that are listening if, if the Internet is working. Uh, but, Father, we thank you that we have this opportunity, and we pray that you would be with Brother Mike as he breaks the word for us in the service this morning, that we would continue to be fed and hear what you want us to, to know and remember. And we pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.